If you have your Bibles, go ahead and turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 5, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, and uh, we're going to be getting there here in just a moment, and uh, we're going to work through a number of different passages of Scripture before we get there, but that's where we're going to camp out here later on in the message today as we finish out this series called The Discipleship Pathway. We've been in it for four Sundays. This is the fourth, and um, it, it all kind of fits together. I mentioned in the very first week that the discipleship pathway is not linear. It's not like you do step one, then step two, then step three, then you finally get to step four. For some people, it kind of plays out that way. But it's designed, really, when you look at it in Scripture, to just kind of be one piece. It's one big part of the Christian's life. It's what it means to be a follower of Jesus. We use the term discipleship because that's often what we read in Scripture. But it's what the disciple... Uh, the disciples' pathway looks like are these four elements that we've unpacked in the series, and today we finish out that series. So uh, let me just establish a few things. For some of you, this is going to be uh, these are going to be some truths that you've been aware of for a long time. Others of you, you've maybe never really contemplated the significance of some of the things that I'm about to share. And so uh, let, let's just establish some some a, a starting point, right? Kind of a base camp, so to speak of what we're about to look at today. And the first thing I want to establish and remind us of is that God loves everyone. God loves the whole entire world, right? He has a deep love for the, for the whole entire world. John chapter 3, verse 16, maybe for some of you, the first verse that you ever memorized, that you ever learned, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, his one and only son, that whoever believes in him should never perish but have everlasting or have eternal life. And so just establishing, reminding us of the fact that God loves the person who lives in the mountains of Pakistan as much as he loves the person who lives in the southernmost portion of South America, as much as he loves the person in the biggest metropolitan area of the U.S. God loves us all. He loves the whole entire world, regardless of experience, life experience, uh, mistakes, sin, regardless. God loves all of us. So let's just establish that up front. God loves the whole world. The, the second thing we kind of springboard off of that is that God wants to have a relationship with every person who lives in the whole entire world. He, he doesn't just want us to know about him from a distance, like reading about him in a book. God wants us to know him genuinely in relationship. Second Peter chapter 3, Verse 9 says, The Lord is not slow about his promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. So God wants us not to be immersed in our sin. He wants us to step out of that. That's what repentance is, to turn from it and to have a relationship ultimately with him through Jesus. He wants that for every single person. He wants it for the person that you think of. If I were to say, who's the best person that you know, he wants it for that person. He wants it for the person that comes to mind. If I were to ask, who's the most evil person that you know, God wants a relationship with every single one of us. All right. So, so let's establish that he loves the whole world and he wants a relationship with every person. But as we've seen in this verse and John 3, 16, that if we don't have a relationship with him, right, then there's going to be a cost to that. Both of these verses I just read use the word perish, right? In other words, without forgiveness, the weight of our sin hangs over us. And if we die without our sins forgiven, we stand before a God who's holy and perfect. And he has to judge that sin. And that judgment, as scripture tells us in the book of Romans, is eternal separation from him, right? It doesn't have to be that way because Christ has already paid for our sins, Right? But for those who don't come to Christ, then the Bible uses this word perish to describe what their condition will be for all of eternity. So God loves us all. God wants a relationship with everyone. Uh, we need a relationship with God. It's the greatest need of our lives. 
but we also establish that it's the gospel that explains to us how to have a relationship with the Lord. It's the gospel that changes everything. Romans chapter 1, I, I, I spoke on this a few weeks ago, Romans 1.16. Paul says, I'm ashamed, or I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it's the power of God for salvation. He uses this, expl- this expression that it's the message of the gospel. What is the message of the gospel? The truth that we've sinned, the message that we've fallen short, that Jesus, God, died in our place, that he rose again. This is what we just celebrated, right? That he rose again. And when we turn from our sin, give our lives to Jesus, he makes us holy on the inside. He forgives us, wipes the slate clean, gives us a brand new start, gives us a relationship with God, reserves a spot for us in heaven, right? That's the gospel. And Paul says that he's not ashamed of that message because it's that message that is the power of God for salvation. And then he affirms what I just said earlier. It's for everybody who believes because he loves everybody, whether Jew or or Gentile or Greek or American or regardless right? That message of the gospel is sufficient for every single person. Now, now here's, here's the kicker for us to understand that God's plan to get the gospel then to the people that he already loves, to the people who he wants a relationship with, to the people who desperately need that relationship with God so their sins can be forgiven. The way that God gets that message of the gospel to those people is through those who already have a relationship with him themselves, right? That's, that's the way. That's, that, that's plan A. Let's just call it that. Matthew chapter 28, maybe some of you, you're familiar with the phrase, the Great Commission. And uh, maybe when you were little, if you were raised in church, you went to Sunday school as a little first grader, second grader. And maybe there was a point one Sunday when you went and the teacher had a little bookmark for you and it had Matthew 28, 18 or 19 through 20. And it, it called it the Great Commission. Maybe you got a little pencil, you know, a little ribbon or something on there. And it's called the Great Commission. Well, it's this, it's this passage where Jesus says, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the the name of the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and lo, I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. So he says, go and make disciples. We unpacked this last Sunday, but it's also kind of that first step to living on mission, that we go and we make disciples, that we are sent people. This is the great commission, right? Jesus commissions us to go with the message of the gospel. But here's the thing. The Great Commission isn't just in the book of Matthew. In fact, it's in all four Gospels. Look at what Mark says, Mark chapter 16, verse 15. Mark kind of gives his take on it where he quotes Jesus and he says, and he said to them, go into all the world and preach the gospel to all creation. Matthew says to go, Mark says to go, well, what about Luke? We'll take a look at what Luke says towards the end of his gospel in chapter 24. It says, and he said to them, speaking of Jesus, thus it's written that the Christ would suffer and rise again from the dead the third day, and that repentance for forgiveness of sins would be proclaimed in his name to all the nations beginning from Jerusalem. And then he goes to the kind of the the next little part of that. Let's go to the next slide if we can. You are witnesses of these things. There's a commission there in Luke, right? Matthew and Mark and Luke. What about John? Let's don't leave him out. John chapter 20, verse 21 and 22. So Jesus said to them again, peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And then it says that when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. In other words, they wouldn't be expected to do this all alone, right? God was going to go with them. All four Gospels tell us that, that we are to go with the message of the Gospel. Remember, God loves everybody. God wants a relationship with everybody. Everybody desperately needs that relationship with God. If we don't have it, it's going to have eternal implications, 
but the way God gets the message of the gospel that alone has the power to save is through the people who already have a relationship with him. Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, all four gospels. And by the way, let's just throw the book of Acts in there. We don't have this on the, overhead, on the, on the slide there, but verse 8 in Acts chapter 1 says, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria, and even to the remotest part of the earth. Right, So all four Gospels and the book of Acts, and we could go elsewhere as well, but we'll just kind of stop right there, tells us what God's plan A is to get the life-saving message of the Gospel to people. People that he loves, people in your family, people in your workplace, people on your campus, people that you've never met before. God's plan A is for it to get there through the believers who already know him who take that message faithfully. Right? That, that's plan A. So, so let me create a little tension for just a second. So if that's plan A for getting the gospel to the people who need to hear, what do we think that plan B might be if we don't do faithfully what God has called us to do? What, what would plan B possibly look like? I mean, would it be kind of a replication of Luke chapter 2 when the angels came and they sang praises? Would, would God just send angels into those areas of the world where it hasn't been reached? Would God send an angel over the back fence to your neighbor who doesn't have a relationship with him if we fall down on the job? What, what's plan B look like? Would it be skywriting or some miracle? Because certainly God still does miracles today. He hasn't like gained some kind of weakness or something. He could still do the miracles he did in the Old Testament and in the New Testament. What is plan B? Well, he, here's the thing. Plan A to get the gospel to those who need to hear, whether here locally or around the world, is through those who have a relationship with him. Plan B doesn't even exist. There is no plan B. <laughs> and the Bible paints the picture that if the gospel is going to go forward, it's going to go forward through the efforts of those who know him. And for a lot of us, that's you, and that's me. So in this series, The Discipleship Pathway, if you look at this, this slide, you've got it on your newsletter as well. We've been talking about what a follower of Jesus looks like. We started three weeks ago in the top left corner there. We talked about how a believer, a, a disciple of Jesus who's walking with him faithfully worships. And we do that, we gather together. Hebrews tells us about how we are called to assemble together. We're doing that right now, right? We're, we, we faithfully worship. Another quality of a follower of Jesus, a discipleship, or a disciple if we want to use that term, top right corner, is that we connect in community. You see that in the New Testament as well. You see it in the early church. They connected. We can't do the love one another's and the serve one another's and the pray for one another. We can do the pray for one another separately, but you can't do the encourage one another's and, and the admonish one another's. You can't do most of the one another's in the Bible without being in community together right and so the way we do that is through groups we have grow groups we have other ministry groups that meet we have a mops ministry that meets we different groups but we do that here in our church through our through our groups primarily we're also called as followers of jesus to make disciples right you go a little bit deeper and you you pass the torch forward and you help to pour into those who are also on the same journey as you are we do that through our d groups our discipleship groups that are a little bit more <clears throat> intensive and uh and so we're growing deeper in our relationship with god well today the very last one we see on on, on the on the on the display there is to live on mission 
that a disciple, a follower of Jesus, also is called to live specifically on mission. And in fact, I'm going to give you a principle or two this morning. I think if we put all this together, we could say this, that if, if, if faithfully worship, right, the, the one on the top left there, if faithfully worship is the church gathered, like us right now collectively, then live on mission is the church scattered. Faithfully worship usually happens 9 to noon, give or take, 11.30ish for us, I guess, on a sunny morning. That's where the faithfully worship typically occurs. The live on mission is between the Sundays, off property, out there, right? That's where we are called to ultimately live on mission. And there's a tendency, if we're not careful, this is never said in the local church, but it's often it's often kind of demonstrated that for a lot of believers, it's an either or, right? I, I, I'm either going to show up and go to church, but I'm not really going to live on mission because that's asking too much. Let the professionals do that. Isn't that their job anyway to reach people? Isn't that why they're here on staff? That's what they're supposed to do. I'm just going to show up and go to worship. Or you've got those who may say, well, I'm all about living on mission, but I don't really have time to go down there to the church. I don't really want to hang out with those people necessarily. I just want to try to advance the message of the gospel. It's not either or. Right? And here's what we have to understand, that when we talk about discipleship, it is equally as important to live on mission as it is to be with God's people. It's not either or, it's both and. So when you sit down at the end of the day, right, and you eat a bowl of cereal, I'm not talking breakfast, I'm talking about that 10 o'clock p.m. bowl of cereal is one of the best meals you're going to get all day long. And you sit down with your Cocoa Krispies, and, and uh, it's not, do I want a bowl or a spoon, right? It's both and. It's not either or. You're not going to have a bowl of cereal unless you have a bowl and a spoon. If you don't have both, you're going to have a mess. I mean, it's just not going to go well for you. If you go out to it for a bike ride, your mentality is not, all right, do I want to use handlebars or do I want wheels on the bike this time, right? Either or. I'm going to either have handlebars or I'm going to have wheels. You know, which one do I want? If you go with no wheels, it's going, to get, you know, it's going to get a little frustrating. If you go with no handlebars, you're going to the ER. That's all I'm, all I'm going to say, right? It, they're not designed to be either or. It's both and. We went to the Philippines years ago. We've been over 25 times as a church through the years. But years ago, one of the trips that I was on, we had a local organization here donate some baseball equipment. And, um, and so we, we took all the stuff over with us. We checked it in as uh, extra baggage. And we took all the equipment, baseballs, bats, gloves, and, and we, we carted it over there. And then there was a specified day where the churches in the Philippines that we worked with had decided they're going to donate the, this, uh, you know, this equipment to the local schools. They had a number of different schools in their community. And so we've kind of learned through the years that when, when, when the folks who live there have a plan, you just sort of step back and wait for them to finish, and then you go where they send you, where they tell you, okay? And so we had kind of brought all the equipment, laid it out there, and then they started their little deal, and we just sort of sat back and waited. This was years ago. And they finally put everything into separate bags, and they said, all right, this was going on this jeepney off to this school, this was going on this tricycle off to that school. Teams were sorted out, and off we went. So we get to the school that I was a part of, that I was working with on the team I was on then, and, uh, and we, <laughs> we open up the bag, and what they had done was, they had sent all of the gloves to one school, all of the bats to another school, and all of the baseballs to another school. It's like, this is not the way this worked. This is supposed to have been collectively all together. It's not either or, it's both and. And when we look at living on mission, I'm just telling you for a lot of Christians, it's an, 
an either or. It's, listen, I'm going to church. Hey, listen, I'm already in a, a, a small group. I'm already in a Bible study. Hey, I'm already doing this. I'm already doing that. It, it, I, I don't think I have to go live on mission. It's, it's both. It's both and. It's not just coming here and engaging in worship and then letting the world, you know, fend for themselves. It's both. And you see that throughout the pages of Scripture so often in the early church. The, 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 the early church painted this beautiful picture, this, this engaging picture of what it looked like to gather together, to, 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 to be in community, to, to go deep with one another, to serve one another, to pray for one another, and encourage one another, to correct one another. All of that strengthened them on the inside. It made them mature as followers of Jesus. But there was also this other component of living on mission to the point to where they did it so well and they stumbled at different times. There were things that they didn't do exactly properly. You see that in scripture, but they did it so effectively to the point to where you and I are now believers, right? We've heard the gospel because it made it this far over 2,000 years of human history. It made it to us because people did both and not either or. They worshiped and they lived on mission. So for us, if you look on your, on your, uh, in your newsletter there, if you check out the slide here, when we talk about living on mission, the way our church helps you to do this, right? We, we, don't, we can't be with every person, right, you know, every day. But the way we do this is that we give opportunities for you to volunteer or serve on ministry teams here in our church. That it helps you to engage and live on mission and also to live as an everyday missionary. So think about it this way. Volunteering and serving is how you live on mission on the inside. Okay, follow me with this. This is really important. Volunteering and serving is how you live on mission on the inside. Living as an everyday missionary, which is exactly what it sounds like, is choosing intentionally to say, I'm going to live on mission for the sake of the gospel. I'm going to do that between the Sundays outside the walls of the church. That's, that's out there. So when we volunteer and when we serve on a ministry team on the inside, here, here's a real danger. If we're not careful, we, we can allow it to become so routine that we lose the mission's emphasis of serving within the context of our own local church. Here's what I mean by that. It's the person who serves, they volunteer in, let's say, preschool ministry. But they've just sort of drifted to the point to where they're just filling a spot. They're like another warm body in the room because, after all, Lexi sent me an email and we still needed one more spot filled. And so I emailed back and said, you know what, I'm going to do it. But there's really no intentionality of living on mission. That's a lot different from the person who volunteers in preschool ministry who says, you know what, I'm going to show up on this particular day and I'm going in with a missional mindset. And I'm going to demonstrate to these little kids, these little newborns or or, or these second uh, two-year-olds or three-year-olds or four-year-olds. I'm going to go in and I'm going to put Jesus on display and I'm going to cultivate in their little young hearts and minds a, a picture of what it looks like to understand that Jesus loves them. You go in with a missional mindset. It's that volunteer in children's ministry or student ministry who doesn't just say, oh, well, I'm a volunteer on Wednesday night. I'm just another body in the room because Eric needed someone or Jeremy needed somebody. And I'm just going to go and kind of hang out with my little group. And then I'm going to fulfill my obligation. And thankfully, when 8 o'clock gets here, I'll be headed back home again. 
That's not what living on mission on the inside looks like. It's coming, showing up, and saying, you know what? God has given me this opportunity to invest my life in another person, either a child in our Olympians ministry or a student in our student ministry. And when I show up on property on this particular Wednesday night or on this particular Sunday morning, I am going there on mission. And I'm going to find the student who's on the fringe. I'm going to find the child who's having a hard night. And I'm going to come up alongside of them. And I'm going to invest in them. And I'm going to use that time strategically not to fill a room with a warm body, but I'm going to be there on mission. And I might even say ahead of time, Lord, how can you use me tonight for just one person during the hour and a half that I'm going to be here on Wednesday night? It's the, it's the person who's been leading a Bible study or grow group, who's maybe been teaching the Bible for years, maybe even decades. And it's not a mentality of how can I get through this lesson and get it ready in the shortest amount of time for Sunday, and then just try to fake it, you know, through the rest of the Bible study hour. That's not living on mission. It's the person, thankfully, we've got folks here that do this. They say, you know what, I'm going to be the one who wants to deliver God's word in my grow group, and I want to engage people, and I want to make a difference. God, would you use me? Right? That's what it looks like to live on mission. And by the way, let me say, even, even here, when you come here, maybe you don't serve on a team yet, Hopefully that's the next step for you. But even when you come here, is the mentality, well, I'm just going to go to church because I'm supposed to go to church. And you come in, maybe it's 10 minutes before the service starts, and you come, and you've been here for years, right? But you find your seat, and you just sit here. Sure is hot in here. been a minute sure is cold in here (laughs) music's a little loud pastor isn't very funny you know it's it gets a little awkward right what if we came with a mentality that says you know what i'm not just going to church but god would you just use me to be a light to someone today who needs to see you. Would you help me to have a heart? It starts with a heart a lot of times because we get in our routines, man. Would you just give me a heart and desire to find someone I've never met? That person who looks new and they look kind of lost, like they don't even quite know where they're going. They're afraid which direction to go, like down what, some hallway, they might get just stuck and nobody ever find them again right? Would you help me to find that person, right? Would you help me to find the person who looks like they're struggling? Would you help me to, to j- just give me a heart, to, to a boldness to, if I see somebody who, who I feel like, you know what, I just need to have a quick prayer with them. Man, I, I'm going to be bold to do it. I'm not just going to show up. I want to go on mission. And the way, the way we help you live on mission on the inside is to provide ministry teams that make a difference in people's lives, but also give opportunity for you to serve and to volunteer to make a difference. But it's up to you to live with that mentality that I'm going to live on mission. I'm not just going to show up. I'm going to be there on mission. That's what I want to do. That's the inside component of what it means to live on mission. But there's another component. I call it the outside component. It's, it's living as an everyday missionary that when we break huddle and we leave this place, Right? Some churches have a little sign out in their parking lot that says, you are now entering the mission field as you leave, which is good because we don't always drive real well after we leave church, I guess. But it's, it's a good reminder that, you know what, the, between those Sundays, I am. I'm a missionary every day, whether we, whether we believe it or not, whether we want to be or not. We're, if we have a relationship with Christ, we are on mission when we leave this place. That's the outside 
component to this. That, that, that's what it looks like outside the walls where a person decides intentionally, I'm going to show Jesus through the life that I live, and I want to share Jesus through the words that I speak. Both require boldness. Both require selflessness. Both require intentionality. Because here's what will happen, I'm telling you. It's a danger for me, and it's a danger for you. We will slip into this routine where discipleship looks like this. I'm going to show up on Sunday. And then the rest of the days are ours until the next Sunday. And there's very little done through the lives we live, through the words we speak, to actually live on mission. You know what? You, you have and I have, most of us here, have circles of influence, five or six circles of influence in our lives. You've got one circle called family, right, where you can have an influence. Whether we do or not is up to us. Whether it's positive influence or negative influence is up to us. But the, but the circle exists. You have a circle of influence called family. You have a circle of influence uh, called your neighborhood where you live, whether it's a condo or on a cul-de-sac or in an apartment or in a home, right? You have a circle of influence called your neighborhood, you have a workplace, or if you're a student, slash campus, or for some of you students, both, right? But that's a third circle where you work. You got a fourth circle, which is kind of your regular hangouts where you go, maybe the same gym you go to, or maybe it's the same restaurant you go to. If you're like my parents, it was Shoney's Victory Drive back in the day, back booth in the corner with the round table. Every single Friday night, had the same waitress every single time. Any of you, can you relate to that? Kind of those regular hangouts where you go. That's a circle of influence for you. And then you've got those random interactions, right, where you just cross paths with people. We could even add a six, really, your friendships. I mean, those are another. All those are circles of influence where God has put you, Christian, and me, to live on mission, to show what Jesus looks like, and to share how to have a relationship with him. Why? Because he loves everybody, and he wants a relationship with everybody. Not everybody has it, and for those who don't, the stakes are very, very high. And the only message that's going to give them a relationship is called the gospel. And his only plan, plan A, is to get the message of the gospel to them through people who already know him. I mean, there's really no other way to package this. So this past weekend, um, last Sunday, we had an event we call an everyday missionary gathering. And uh, it's, it's an opportunity for us to just kind of cast this vision and give people an opportunity to definitively say, you know what, I, I want to do this. I want to live on mission for Christ. <clears throat> so we had this last Sunday evening. I got an email two days later from one of our guys, Tommy, and uh, a lot of you know Tommy. And um, <clears throat> I asked him if I could share his email, and he gave me permission now, this is what he wrote me two days after the Everyday Missionary Gathering. He, he said, let me tell you how God works. Yesterday, this would have been a Monday, the day after I went to the Everyday Missionary Gathering, I walked into a donut shop in Vidalia to go buy my mother some donuts and other little treats that she likes. There was a woman working in the donut shop, which is a customer of Pineland, the Pineland paper. I know the owner very well, but today there was a woman working in her late 50s that I didn't know. So I thought to myself, you know, this is what living on everyday mission is about. You need to try to open up more with her. So I started talking to her, and she immediately told me that she was a missionary, that she would not be working there long, that she and her husband just live wherever God sends them for as long as God sends them there, and they typically try to help the homeless and those that are in need of shelter and care. Well, she told me that they don't necessarily have a lot of money, but what they do have is prayer and how they made their way from Texas to Atlanta and then to South Georgia. 
I was dumbfounded that one of the first interactions that I had with someone less than 24 hours after going through the everyday missionary gathering, and here I was trying to put it into practice, and God puts a woman in front of me that was a missionary herself, someone who's walking the walk. She handed me her card that said she and her husband were part of SOS Missions. I love this last part. I gave her my card, told her that if I could ever be of help, I was living on mission in Savannah. And we talked about the need for missions and about God's love. You know, sometimes when we answer the call to live on mission, God gets a message that changes everything to a person who needs to hear. Sometimes when we answer the call to live on mission, God enables a person to hear the message that they're not ready for yet. They may walk away. They may even disagree. But they may be ready later. It's like planting a little seed. And other times when we answer the call to live on mission, sometimes God flips the script and gives us what we needed to hear as a result of our obedience. You know, it's interesting that when we read in the New Testament, we see that God paints for us this unmistakable picture and call to live our lives on missions every day. Second Corinthians chapter 5 is where I've had you to hold your spot. <clears throat> in Second Corinthians chapter 5, look at what it says in verse 17. Paul is writing to the church in Corinth, verse 17. He says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creature. The old things passed away, behold, new things have come. What that verse is telling us is that if you've given your life to Jesus, as I've spoken of already, then you're a new creature, you have a new nature, you have a new identity, you are not the same person that you used to be, right? Uh, you may look and sound like the same person, you may kind of feel like the same person, those old memories may be there of what life was like back then, but from God's perspective through Christ, you are a brand new person, new identity, new nature, new creature in Christ, right? Well, if you look down a little further, just a few verses later in verse 20, Paul says, Therefore, in other words, in light of what I've just said, you're a new creature. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ as though God were making an appeal through us. We beg you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God, right? Come back into a relationship with God the way that he desires because he loves you. He wants relationship with you. You need that relationship desperately, but it's only going to come through Jesus, he says we are ambassadors for Christ. An ambassador is ultimately, in simple terms, one who represents another, one who represents another person or another kingdom and their interests, and ultimately aims to expand that kingdom as an ambassador. When Paul says we are ambassadors of Christ, you cannot miss the correlation there. He says, you live in this world as a new creature with a new identity. You are a brand new person. And in this world, you are an ambassador for Christ, meaning that you are his representative in your family, in your workplace, in your neighborhood, on your campus, in your hangouts, with your friends, in your circles of influence. You are representative of him. You are representative of his interests. And your role is to introduce others to him so that his kingdom can grow and they can know him in relationship like you do. There's a lot packed in to that little verse right there. 
And it's as though Paul says at the end, so live on mission. That's kind of the, the, the picture there. So, so live on mission. In some of those circles of influence, there is nobody else who is. There, is no, there may not be another ambassador for Christ in your family. There may not, may not be another ambassador for Christ on your street or on your campus or in the places where you hang out, at the gym where you go. At least, there may not be an ambassador for Christ who's putting him on display right? Who's speaking for him and who's ultimately explaining to others how to have a relationship with him. And I'm not talking about being weird. I'm not talking about being somebody you're not. I'm not talking about even trying to be Billy Graham or some other, you know, preacher or whoever. Just be you, right? But be on mission in that space and in that place and let him use you. Show him and share him. And God will ultimately use that to make a difference. But here's the thing, in those circles of influence that I just described, there may not be anybody else doing that. And I know the mentality. The mentality is to say, well, if I don't do it, surely God will use somebody else, right? Somebody else will reach them. How do you know that? What what verse in here says that if we don't represent him well, oh, somebody else will be used by him to reach him? We don't know that. What if my mom... (laughs) When I'm eight, nine years old, she explains the gospel to me. What if she's like, you know what? I don't have time to do this. I mean, he's not that great of a kid anyway. I'm sure somebody else is going to reach him, right? Maybe not. Maybe not. I'm not trying to guilt us into obedience here, just being realistic. He only has one plan A, and there's no guarantee that he's just somehow going to perform a miracle to save everybody, right? His plan A is that those of us who know him, we go as who we are in his power, in the power of the Holy Spirit, and we just show him and we share him like everyday witnesses. Hey, this is what I've experienced. This is what he can do for you, and here's how you can know him. Not being weird, not being somebody or not, just being you on mission with him. A few months back, I was getting ready for work. TV was on. One of those little news stories came up, one of those kind of a feel-good, you know, stories came up that I want to close with this morning uh, that doesn't have a Christian context to it at all, in a way. But in a way, it has more Christian context to it than a lot of churches do on their mission. I think from this video, we can learn a lot if we're willing to take what we see repurpose and repackage and do it in the name of Jesus. Take a look and then we'll close. We end the week at a school where lunchtime is fulfilling the spirit. Here's Steve Hartman on the road. When the lunch bell rings at Boca High in Boca Raton, Florida, 3,400 kids fill into the courtyard and split into their social groups. But not everyone gets included. Here at Boca High and at schools across the country, someone always sits alone. It's not a good feeling like you're by yourself, and that's something I don't want anybody to go through. Dennis Esteban is a Haitian immigrant. When he came here in first grade, he says he felt isolated, especially at lunch. Now he's a senior. He's popular. But he has not forgotten that first grade feeling. To me, it's like if we don't try to go make that change, who's going to do it? So, So with with some some friends, friends, Dennis Dennis started a club called We Dine Together. We Dine. Together. We Dine. Together. We Dine. Together. 
Their mission is to go into the courtyard at lunchtime to make sure no one is starving for company. Dennis, I'm new here. You're new here? When did you first come here? For new kids especially, the club is a godsend. It's Gabriel. Gabe, how you doing? Since it started last fall, hundreds of friendships have formed. Some very unlikely. You're probably meeting kids you never would meet on the football team. Ever. <laughs> Gene Max Merridew actually quit the football team. Gave up all the perks that come with it, just so he could spend more time with this club. I don't, I don't mind not getting a football scholarship. This is what I really want to do. Just imagine how different your teenage years would have been. What's the name? If the coolest kids in school all of a sudden decided, you matter. We get to know each other better. It obviously takes a lot of empathy to devote your lunch period to this. Either that or first-hand experience. I went from coming from a school that I always had friends to coming to where I had nobody. So. Club member Allie Seeley transferred two years ago. She says with no one to sit next to, lunch can be the most excruciating part of the day. It's really unfair. It's honestly an issue. Meeting someone who actually cares and, li and listens to what you have to say really makes a difference. And that could happen at lunch. That could happen at our club. It's going to make a difference. And not just here at Boca High. Yeah, I'll be around tomorrow if you want to eat lunch together or something. Dennis and his team are now trying to open chapters of We Dine Together at schools across the country. And maybe when they're done showing kids how to make outsiders feel accepted, they can teach us adults, too. Steve Hartman on the road in Boca Raton, Florida. Mark 10, 45. For even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. See the parallels? Living on mission, being intentional, realizing that there are a lot of people that are alone and in need of a relationship. Giving up what gets in the way to just being who you are on mission for purpose. What if you took that same mindset and made the purpose showing and sharing Jesus? Listen, you got this. <laughs> you can do this, Christian. He promised to always be with you. He doesn't call you to change anybody just to let folks know what he looks like and what he offers. Let's pray. Heads bowed, eyes closed. Lord, everyone in this room who knows you, you desire to use. We are called to live on mission. We are called to be intentional. We're called to do that on the inside of this church, Lord, as we volunteered as we serve not just to fill a spot but literally to make an impact and to influence others for you through our serving but God we're also called to live on mission outside the walls of this church between the Sundays in those areas that we have influence family and friendships and workplaces and campuses and neighborhoods and hangouts and even in those random interactions and no we can't save the world in fact you never called us to save even one person you've just called us as a witness <laughs> to what you've done for us lord and as a witness to the message of the gospel that changed our lives 
He just called us to show people what you look like and the way we treat them and love them and care for them. And you've called us to share the message with boldness of how they can do the same in their lives that you've done for us. Lord, thank you that this is your plan A because it involves us in the greatest work of all, the work of saving someone for eternity. Lord, may we, even right where we sit today as believers, ask you to give us that boldness and that courage, and may we be willing to take the next step to live on mission. But Lord, we also pray for those today who've never taken the first step of giving their lives to Jesus. Maybe maybe they've thought about it. Maybe this is the first they've ever really heard of their need to have the slate wiped clean before you, God, who are holy. Maybe they've never considered until right now the decision to lay down their sin the best they can and to trust Jesus, inviting him to forgive and to take over their lives. But God, I pray for those today that don't know you, that right where they sit, they'll pray a prayer like this, Lord Jesus, I need you. Thank you for loving me. I know my sin has separated me from you. And today, the best I can, I turn from it. And I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me and to take over my life. In your name I pray. And Lord, we thank you that it's a prayer like that that you hear. And you give that person a brand new life and a brand new nature and a new identity and a mission. Lord, may we be all about your mission for your glory as people, as followers, as disciples, and as a church. For it is in Jesus' name we pray.